Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, September 30th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden and President Donald Trump faced off in Cleveland last night in the first presidential debate of 2020. Did we learn anything? J.P. Morgan Chase admitted to manipulating the markets and will have to pay a hefty settlement for it. Plus, Wirecard earlier this year announced nearly 2 billion euros was missing from its accounts. How long did Auditor EY know about the fraud? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. It was supposed to be a, quote, debate. But for 90 minutes, it sounded more like this. And this. Wait a minute, you get the final word. Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. Excuse me. This the first presidential debate of 2020 between Joe Biden and Donald Trump was chaotic, with moderator Chris Wallace often losing control and Trump talking over Biden nearly nonstop. Here with me now is Lauren Fedor, our Washington correspondent. Lauren, we're talking right after this debate. Uh, in all seriousness, do you think American voters got anything productive out of this? Uh, you know, that's a good question, Mark. And to be honest, I'm not sure if I have a good answer for you. Uh, this was chaotic. It was unlike any presidential debate, certainly, that I've ever seen. And I think in it's fair to say in modern U.S. history. You know, I'm going to spend the next few hours and days speaking to as many voters as I can. But a few thoughts that I have are, you know, on one hand, for some of these undecided voters, they may have looked at it and seen the president's behavior as overbearing and chaotic, if not downright rude. Um, you know, I think on the other hand, there was a lot of pressure on Joe Biden to convey strength. And I think he managed to keep his cool apart from a couple of notable asides. You know, at one point he said to the president, uh, will you please just shut up? But, you know, he, he may have come across as, as too weak to some voters on the fence. So when it comes to the behavior of the two candidates, you know, some voters may have gleaned something from that. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things if they are making up their minds about anything in particular, it, it probably was one of the few topics that, that really showed the substance of these candidates, one of those being COVID-19 and uh, how, how starkly these two candidates approach the pandemic. Uh, first, here's Joe Biden. Between 750 and 1,000 people a day are dying. When he was presented with that number, he said, it is what it is. Well, it is what it is because you are who you are. That's why it is. The president has no plan. Now, we knew that Joe Biden was going to go after Trump for the 200,000 uh, Americans who died since the pandemic started. How did Trump respond? Sure. So, you know, the Biden campaign from the get-go has been at pains to make this election a referendum on the Trump presidency and President Trump's handling of COVID in particular. President Trump responded with a lot of the defenses that he's used before. He claimed that he handled this better than anyone else in his position would have. He said that he did the right thing by closing the border to China and, and later to places like Europe and, and the UK and Ireland. He stuck to his guns and said, said that he was the man for the job. Moving on to one of the other really big moments of the debate um, was talk about racial inequality and policing because of the George Floyd protests this year. I think one of the things that really that really stood out to me, Lauren, was how Donald Trump approached Joe Biden's stance on policing. And I want to play a clip of that right now. The people of this country want and demand law and order, and you're afraid to even say it. 
What were some of the comments from both sides that, that stuck out to you during this part of the debate? The moderator, Chris Wallace, tried to separate some of these issues out. He wanted to talk about race in America, and then he wanted to talk about this question of law and order and criminal justice. Uh, The president, as he has been throughout his campaign, was very keen to keep bringing the conversation back to what he calls the need for law and order, uh, particularly in America's cities and, and also in its suburbs. Um, you know, this this was a point of tension between the two candidates throughout the debate um, as Joe Biden tried to, you know, basically portray at one point he he called the president straight out a racist. Lauren Fedor is our Washington correspondent. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Mark. The next presidential debate is scheduled for Thursday, October 15th. It was just a few weeks ago that EY Global Chairman Carmine DeCibio said he was regretful about the auditor's role in the Wirecard scandal. In a letter, he talked about the firm's failure to sniff out a nearly 2 billion euro fraud at the German payments processor. Here's what he said. I'm quoting the letter here. Even though we were successful in uncovering the fraud, we regret that it was not uncovered sooner. But as one of our reporters found, EY did know about the fraud earlier than it let on. I'm joined by the FT's Frankfurt correspondent, Olaf Storbeck. Olaf, what did your reporting find? Yeah, we learned about four years ago, so in, in May 2016, an EY employee wrote a whistleblower letter to EY in Germany, basically flagging potential fraud by Wirecard and also pointing out that one local Wirecard employee in India actually tried to bribe an, a local EY auditor. They're offering some personal compensation if this person was willing to sign off uh, inflated sales numbers. I think it's important to point out that this whistleblower only referred to one of the several strings in the wider Wirecard fraud case. And this whistleblower only, in inverted commas, referred to this India deal where the speculation has long been basically Wirecard managers had a conflict of interest because they might have been behind the Mauritius-based fund, which sold operations in India to Wirecard at, an, at a very inflated price. And basically, what we know now is that this EY employee in India flagged this concern about two years before it, it became public knowledge and before short sellers and others basically seized on it. So uh, given these new revelations, uh, what has EY said in response? Well, EY said that they flagged these issues to the supervisory board and to the management board of Wirecard back at the time, which is which is correct. We have documents confirming this. We also have documents confirming that Wirecard mandated EY with a forensic investigation into the allegations. And the interesting thing is what happened then. So basically two years after this investigation started, it was aborted by Wirecard after EY flagged to Wirecard that they found some evidence which might actually support a few of, not all, but a few of those claims made by the whistleblower. And then a few weeks later, Wirecard basically said, oh, it's all fine. We did our own investigation and we don't have to look at this at any more detail. And despite EY finding what they call several observations that, that cast doubt on the integrity of the account in India. The really interesting effect is that then in the 2017, in the audit of Wirecard results, the audit team basically said uh, the forensic investigation was concluded and found no evidence of any wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. So uh, could they face backlash? 
Well, I mean, they are already uh, facing quite a lot of pressure. So they are under investigation by the German auditing investigator. They are facing several lawsuits by, by investors who lost billions uh, in, in the Wirecard saga. And this revelation that an internal EY whistleblower basically warned them four years ago will make it probably more difficult for EY to defend itself in those cases. Olaf Storbeck is the FT's Frankfurt correspondent. Thanks, Olaf. Thanks a lot. This next story deals with something called spoofing. In short, it's a method used to manipulate the markets. And J.P. Morgan Chase admitted to it, leading to a record settlement with U.S. authorities. Here with me now is the FT's U.S. legal and enforcement correspondent, Kadam Schuber. Kadam, let's start with spoofing. What exactly is it? Right. Spoofing is a form of market manipulation. In basic terms, it involves traders placing either buy or sell orders and then immediately withdrawing them. And you do this in a sort of rapid fire way. And the idea is that you move prices around up and down, despite never actually intending to complete any of the buy or sell orders that you're putting into the market. So between 2008 and 2016, traders on JP Morgan's Treasury's desk and on its precious metals desk manipulated those markets through this conduct called spoofing, where they would place orders, withdraw them, and in doing that, push prices around in order to, to make a profit. So, Kadam, JP Morgan Chase has to pay this record settlement for spoofing, $920 million. But it's far from the only one that's been caught doing this. I guess what, I, what I'm curious about, Kadam, is why is spoofing on the rise? It's not necessarily a case that spoofing is on the rise. But it is certainly true that U.S. authorities have focused on this conduct more and more. In 2010, the Dodd-Frank Act sort of explicitly outlawed spoofing. And then since then, you know, the Department of Justice, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and the SEC, they've brought more and more cases. Spoofing as a crime is really tied to the computerization of trading. The more complex spoofing schemes that you know, U.S. authorities have charged in recent years involve things like bespoke software that, you know, respond to moves in the market that allow people who commit spoofing to really fine tune and amplify the impact that their conduct is having on whatever market they're manipulating. Kadam Schubert is our U.S. legal and enforcement correspondent. Thanks, Kadam. Thank you. You can read more on all of these stories at ft.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.